we go. Doc, this is a big one. This is my return episode. All right. I hope uh, they're not too boring. No, never. Are you kidding? <laughs> so uh, I haven't recorded in over a year, and I'm here with a good friend of mine, Dr. Glenn Babis. Doc, let him know who you are. Hi, I'm uh, Glenn Babis. I'm a physician. I do uh, pain management here on Staten Island in Brooklyn, also regenerative medicine. Yeah, I did not want to butcher what regenerative <laughs> med- medicine is with uh, my level of stupidity, but would you be able to tell us what some of the procedures are you do with regenerative medicine? Well, believe it or not, the oldest regenerative medicine procedure is acupuncture. Acupuncture was the original one that created healing, but I guess the big one was the platelet-rich plasma that came in the early 2000s where a lot of athletes were using and then PRP went to the mainstream and then we started using other things such as bone marrow and uh, fat stem cells and then of course uh, newer kids on the block is A2M, alpha 2 macroglobulin as well. That was uh, one of the things I wanted to... A mouthful. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about was I remember during the uh, Clinton and Bush administrations that some of the hot words they were using were stem cell research. And it's fairly new, stem cells in America, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, the law basically, this is the difference from going out of the country to have stem cells and staying in the country. The law is we're not allowed to grow our own stem cells. While in another country, if you donate stem cells, they're allowed to grow more of them. That is not allowed. The weird thing is you're allowed to do it for horses and animals, but you can't do it for humans. And you can also do it for cancer, but it can't be done to inject joints and discs. Well, are those the uh, the embryo stem cells? Uh, well, I'm talking about uh, bone marrow. You can donate. In fact, there are companies in other uh, parts of the world where they actually take your own bone marrow, and then they're able to incubate and grow more stem cells from it before they inject it back into you where you're not allowed to do that in this country. That was, I think, one of the uh, one of the big ways the stem cells has become a larger industry in the last few years is from podcasts like Joe Rogan, where he has guests on constantly that are going out of the country for all different types of procedures. Like, I've heard them get intravenous stem cells. You know, uh, IV stem cells is really frowned upon in this country. Right. There's some, there's been some pretty big lawsuits and some problems here in New York City where some uh, shops were closed down because there's not great evidence-based medicine for stem cells for that reason. You know, people are doing it to be younger uh, for a lot of different diseases where there isn't really proven literature on it. And of course, in other countries, there's not those laws or the worry about malpractice suits as well. Is, Is there not enough research being done There is, but it's more research for cancer, leukemia, and different blood-borne diseases. You know, what you're seeing in this country, they're using a lot of PRP and stem cells for joint injections, ligaments, muscle, uh, osteoarthritis, degenerative disc disease. I mean, there's little smatterings of group of people doing different things with it. There's groups of neurosurgeons in California who are injecting stem cells directly into the brain for certain types of diseases. Um, and even now for horses, alpha-2 macroglobin is being used. I mean, you know, there's just not enough literature out there to support the use of it. It's definitely not for IV. And 
I'm a little hesitant to uh, push patients to look for that. Who would you say the majority of your uh, demographic would be for your, your patients? Um, you know, a combination of athletes, you know, weekend athletes, people very active who play tennis, hike, who just want to keep on doing things. Um, where we see most of the business, we use it. We don't use it as much for our chronic pain patients. It's more of more acute pain and more athletes. So which, which would you prescribe, let's say, for a... Let's say you had a fighter come in with a blown ACL. What would be the, the treatment procedure for something like that? Well, first of all, you know, before we do anything, we would look at their uh, MRI x-rays, um, recommend an orthopedic referral first, and then depending how bad the tear is. Sometimes things need surgery, and, you know, stem cells are not always the answer. So it really depends on the injury, but we've, we've done bone marrow for ACLs. We've done A2M for ACLs. We've even done PRP. It depends how bad the tear is, how old the patient is, because the most important part is if they get good results in what we do, they need to be able to do the rehab. They need to do the other 50% of the work. Well, that was, that was a big thing. I was, we had spoken a little earlier today, and that was a big thing I was thinking about since then was I remember being in physical therapy for uh, certain injuries I had received on the job and just through life and wear and tear. And I'd be sitting in the physical therapist's office doing the exercises, and I would look around and say, none of these people are going home and doing the, the continuous work that is necessary to, to really heal that injury. So that's... Uh, hey, that's across the board. Um, you know, we even developed an Instagram site because we used to give out these little pamphlets if they had back pain or if they had shoulder pain. And these are the exercises that we want you to do. That's what I used to do 10 years ago. And now I keep a smart board in all my offices where we demonstrate it, both on the computer, exactly what exercises they want. And we also push them into the Instagram site. So if we want them to do certain core strengthening, shoulder work, ankle work, um, you gotta you gotta make people exercises. We're mammals. I, I have a horse, and it's really my son's horse. And with horses, if you don't exercise them at least two to three times a week, after a while they develop severe osteoarthritis. We're mammals. We have to move, and if you don't move, your body is gonna get you. It's gonna atrophy. Ligaments are gonna be taken back into the body. If you don't use it, you actually do lose it. And we try to push even our most severe chronic patient into doing something, whether it's wall, modified planks. You have to do the exercises along in what we do, or it's just not going to work. There's a, there was a retired fighter. His name is Bass Rutten. Have you ever heard of him? No. He was one of the old timers in like the, the pride days, and they were fighting in Japan and all that. And he had some significant neck injuries where he had uh, atrophy in both biceps. His arms were just falling apart completely. And he had gone down to one of those south-of-the-border places and gotten all different types of stem cells and whatever they're doing down there in his neck. And I think that he had gotten them intravenously, too. And he's had uh, muscle regrowth. I mean, hmm. those, like I like said earlier, I mean, those those are rare cases. I think I think those are cases where you're getting someone who has good results for whatever reason. And then uh, people expect that to kind of become the norm. You know, the problem is when you see like an athlete, you take a, even, a, you know, one of the Mannings, they had, a, I think, a cervical fusion. 
even Joe Montana before the Super Bowl, I think he had a one or two level disectomy. You're dealing with people who are superhuman and they can afford to have nutritionists, they can have people to exercise. But what you do with the, the person who has a family and works, it's really hard for them to have that type of intense rehab. You have to make it easy for them that they'll be able to do it at home and do it with their family. It has to make sense. I mean, you, you can't really take a, an athlete and compare them to the population. It never works. And I think, you know, maybe that's why PRP is not as successful with a lot of people or some of the regenerative procedures because they have to do a certain amount of exercises. You know, you just can't get the procedure and then go home and do what you were doing and be a couch potato. You're not gonna get anywhere with that. So I, I don't know, I don't know enough about what they're doing in these different countries because they don't follow the same rules we do. You're just not allowed to do a lot of those things. Who's exactly injecting them, how they're growing the stems, where they're getting the stems, what exactly is being done. You know, one patient's not enough. You need to see like 50 or 100 to have an idea of something successful. Right, their, their operation is... You know, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if FDA approval is a way. I mean, we're very hard on this country to approve things. Um, it seems like PRP, and we had that talk about the, I think it was the retrokine, used to be called orthokine. It was even at the same time PRP came out and athletes were going to Germany to get it. Um, you know, a lot of the other countries sometimes do things before us because they're not astringent. And maybe that's a good thing <laughs> because I can tell you of a story that happened. I think, I think they were called U.S. Stem Cell. They were down in Florida and they were actually injecting, I wasn't sure if it was bone marrow or lipid stems. And they were injected into the retina for people that are having vision problems. And it actually started working, but the problem is it worked too good. And all those patients went blind and had a huge lawsuit on their hand Holy because shit. there wasn't really studies. You know, it wasn't like, hey, we injected these two or 300 patients compared to this. It's hard to do double blind placebo studies on that, but there weren't even really good retrospective study. It was just someone decided, hey, let's just start injecting retinas and see that happen. Let's start doing IV stems. Sounds like a good idea. And maybe it is, but it, it, it's hard to quantify. Right, those are very wild, wild west. Uh, yeah, you got to be so careful. I mean, I heard about a, a gentleman in the uh, city who was doing a lot of IV stuff, and they closed him down because he actually had a lot of complications. Really, doing IV stuff in, in yeah, the country? Yeah, because you have to be careful with IV stems. You know, there's a process. You know, when you're injecting stuff in the IV, you have to make sure it's very fluid-based because you can create clots, right? embolisms, pulmonary embolisms, brain embolisms you got to be you can't in, inject just anything into the iv space and i think that was happening yeah i'd imagine the risk factor you know you really up. need a really good fluid you know just like you don't want to inject air bubbles you don't want to inject a fat bubble into someone's you know iv it's dangerous when did you get into a uh, regenerative medicine when was that when did that kind of I would say about seven to eight years ago, I started doing some PRP and amniotic fluid. And then, uh, you know, we started to get into more into the bone marrow. You know, it's funny because I'm actually an interventional pain guy. Right. So I was trained, you know, I've been doing fluoroscopy my whole life and started doing ultrasound about 10 to 12 years ago. And, you know, I've been doing guided injections. So it wasn't that big of a leap because I was already injecting steroid uh, Synvisc into the knees. 
I was already injecting every joint and epidural space and disc already. So to switch that over into injecting PRP, A2M, bone marrow stims was not a big leap. It was pretty easy. Well, that becomes a, a really utility tool to have in the bag. If, if you're already doing pain medicine, now you offer other types of, like you said, the regenerative. And or interventional radiology. Right. Another good way to go. Or an, an orthopedic who is doing floor and ultrasound. I mean, it's this big battle whether you should do ultrasound guided or fluoroscopy guided. Mm -hmm. And I think you should be able to do both. Some things are better with the ultrasound. Some things are better with the floor guided. Um, uh, we keep an ultrasound and, and, and floor in every one of our units. And sometimes we use them in combo. Um, you know, the key with regenerative medicine is you got to get it into the right space. If you get it into the wrong space, it doesn't matter what you're injecting. It's not going to work. What's the uh, difference between the ultrasound guided and the fluoroscopy? Ultrasound guidance is really good for soft tissue. Like, and this is my opinion. Everyone, listen, there's a lot of good ultrasound people who inject everything, and there's a lot of fluoro-guided people. But for me, like say if I'm injecting like a rotator cuff tendon, a piriformis muscle, any type of ligament or tendon, I tend to use more ultrasound. If I'm going into a deep joint space, a hip, a shoulder, a disc, anything in the spine, I use fluoro fluoroscopic guidance. I think... My opinion, if you're trying to inject an ACL, I don't see how you could do it ultrasound. I think a floor guidance is still the best way to go. It's my opinion. And that's I'll use floor for that reason, but I also use ultrasound for certain things. Right, you'd have ma you've had massive success with the fluoroscopy, you said, right? Yeah, but also, you know, like if you're injecting like a supraspinatus, tendon for a spinatus, you can't pick that out with x-ray. You can pick out the bone where it's hooked in, but to actually see the tendon and possibly tail, ultrasound is still the best way to go. So, I mean, ultrasound does serve purpose. My opinion is I think floor guidance is anything in the spine, you cannot use ultrasound. There's right. no way. And I... I, I don't know if, I know some people are doing it, but I don't know how they can inject deep joints and discs with, with ultrasound. You have to have fluoro. For some of the joints, depending on people's weight, you can probably get away with ultrasound. I still think fluoro guidance is a better tool. Was that uh, what you used on Dennis? I used a combo for him. He was, uh, you know, he had some tendon issues and he had some joint issues. So we kind of did a few different things with him to get into different spaces. Well, for the uh, listeners that don't know, Dr. Babis was actually one of our first sponsors from the very beginning. We, uh, we got contacted by someone who had worked for him early on and said, hey, you know, Dennis would definitely benefit from working with Dr. Babis. We came in and hit it off immediately, and it's been a very loyal friendship since then. And Dennis has had some remarkable results from working with you so i gotta thank you endlessly for that yeah no it's my pleasure you know we have problems helping young athletes if we can we always try to do that especially in the community well it's been i mean i've seen the results firsthand i mean he could not lift his arm up to save his life he couldn't throw a jab couldn't there's a lot of stuff he couldn't do in, before he had seen you even even the therapy you'd given him had been such a massive uh, leap in his progress yeah, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a big thorough band guy with athletes, tennis players, ankles, shoulders. You know, I think you got to hit training from a lot of different ends. And plus, he's, he just gets brutalized. He's an MM fighter. He's always fighting and sparring. It's a, it's a tough sport. 
Right. I mean, his I mean, his body at 23 is very differently than yes. ours was at 23. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a super Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. He's, you know, 5% to him is a lot, you know. He can't have any decreases. He has to be at 100%. Right, those, those if marginal... If he's at 97%, he loses. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the difference between, uh, you know, a championship and going home with an L. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, with sports, uh, you know, we've heard through the rumor mill that they're using A2M now with a lot of athletes as a preventative care. Really? Yeah, if they see any degenerative changes, um, they're starting to use A2M to stop it. Um, so, I mean, it's even crossed over to the horse community. It's being used a lot. They're doing studies. So what would be a, a degenerative change, you said? That, that's what it was? You know, osteoarthritis. Right. Or any degenerative changes. Not everything is osteoarthritis. When you have an athlete, and we take care of a lot of the college athletes, St. John, Wagner, in the area. Um, you know, you see these football players who have been playing, you know, football since they were 16. And I see it all the time. And some of these kids already have degenerative discs. They already have lost disc height, especially some of the linebackers and, and, and middle linebackers, the guys that are taking the big hits. And sometimes I'm shocked. I'll see uh, a 20-year-old as a sophomore in college playing sports, and he's got a pretty bad degenerative back. And what I find with college athletes is a shame. They don't like to spend money on some of these treatments, which I think is a better way to go. Right. They would have way more longevity in their I, career. I would, you know, I, if it was my son, I would want to put A2M PRP into his body than steroid. Oh, well, yeah, I would definitely imagine so. And, That's but, what I put into my body. I, you know, and I'm not saying, st listen, it's funny. In, in the insurance world, they only pay for steroid injections. Really? And certain injections. The only people that play for platelet-rich plasma, PRP, and now sometimes amniotic fluid, is personal injury claims, workman comp claims. And in certain states in the country, because Medicare is different by region, they do pay for amniotic fluid, which I still think is a better alternative than injecting steroids into knees. Because you can't keep on doing that. Right. You know, you really want to see someone get six months to a year from steroids because there's a degenerative process from them. So it's weird how insurance to this day, most majors will not pay for PRP. Definitely won't pay for A2M. They definitely won't pay for bone marrow. And uh, I think that's a shame. I think they would get, I think in the long run, they would save more money because they would go to the doctor less. Do you think that, uh, that that'll change over time just because steroids are more familiar to the industry? They've you know, it's, listen, it's hard to say. We still do a ton of back surgery in this country. Right. Two and three level fusions, which I'm not a big fan of. But, you know, and surgery's been around forever, and there's no really good literature to support that. That's a better way to go, but that's what they know. They know surgery and steroid injections. They're more familiar with that. You know, there are more studies, more literature on it. Um, and less literature on PRP, bone marrow, and A2M. There's been some good articles to come out about PRP for injecting sacroiliac joints. They're like a smattering of articles. There's just not as many you would like to see for the mainstream. Right. The field is still so young. It's still there. And, and there's not a, you know, it's not like a, there's not a fellowship. Like say when I, I would, I'd be an anesthesia resident. I had to take that board, and I did pain management, I had to take that board. There's really not a true regenerative fellowship. You know, it's a smattering of orthopedics, pain management, 
I'll be honest you, anyone could do regenerative medicine. I'm going to take a weekend course and start injecting people. Right. There's no, you know, since it's not really covered by insurance and it's not really done in a hospital, you know, there's a lot of people doing it um, with very little oversight. How much do you foresee that industry growing in the next, let's say, 10 years? I mean, do you think, is there a lot of pushback from orthopedic surgeons and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, people that do surgery always kind of look at regenerative medicine as kind of a distant cousin. You know, they, some of them look at it that it's hokey. Um, Same thing with any type of surgery. Um, So there is a pushback because of that. And also, again, insurances want evidence-based studies. Right. And they're just not a lot of them. And they'll say it's investigational, experimental. There's some treatments I've been doing for years. I can give you an example. I do what's called radiofrequency ablations for certain pains in the back and limbs. And, and, I, and this has been going, I, I've done this since my fellowship. I finished my fellowship in 94. I've been doing the same procedure. And to this day, I still have insurance companies that come back to me and say, it's investigational and experimental. It's toyed in every fellowship. There are enough studies, but we still get pushback. There are certain insurances that will not pay for it. What uh, what exactly is an ablation? You have to talk to me like an, I'm an idiot. Oh, you know, like say if someone, just like how you have shoulder problems with joints in your back. Right. You know what? I should grab a, uh, you want me to grab a skeleton? <laughs> Do you have one nearby? Yeah, I think. It'll just take me like one <laughs> second. That would be awesome. I, I have a skeleton in my floor. That's going to be sweet. I just don't want to knock this stuff down. I can pause it, cut it. It's fine. All right. Let me grab the spine of knowledge. Let me out of the way. You know, in the old days, you used to get this from people from India. That's been banned for many years. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like an actual spine? It was India's biggest uh, export for a while, back in the 60s. All right. Should I go ahead? Yeah, let me just make sure the shots yeah. are still lined up. There you go. So we were talking about, and, and people, one of the highest... It's not always, always people think it's a disc problem. Right. And a large percentage of people, it's their sacroiliac joint where their pelvis attaches okay. and their facets. This is the major reason. You know, you ever hear people say, I slipped. Oh, I slipped my right. back. Right. They literally dislocate one of these little joints and it snaps back, but the damage is done. And then some people it becomes a chronic problem. So what do you do? You know, the best way to diagnose it is just to do x-ray guidance. We put a little local where the little nerve goes to the joint. If right. they get great relief, we burn the joint. We burn the little nerve to the joint so they don't feel the pain. It doesn't really help the joint. Right. It doesn't make it better. I mean, that's what chiropractors do with acute pain. They do a pretty good job. When someone gets a sacroiliac problem, if it's not too chronic, they just pop it back. Shit. And, and in fact, I had facet pain. I, I deadlifted wrong once, not paying attention, and I threw out my L5-S1 facet. I thought someone stuck a knife in my back. I went to one of my buddies, 
and uh, he was a chiropractor. Uh, Denny Jukowitz on the island, a great guy, works with a lot of athletes. He's got a guy who used to be a football trainer. They went and manipulated me, and I was in two weeks, I was gold as gold. That was an acute problem. The problem is when it becomes a chronic problem right. or a sports problem is what happens is you start getting ligament atrophy and your joint keeps on popping out. Mm -hmm. So what we do is people are in too much pain to do the planks, the modified planks, all the exercises we want. So we want to buy them time. So the average individual, we can buy them about nine months. Buy, we do a diagnostic one. We burn it off and then we make them do core like I prescribe it like a medicine. Right. I said, you know how you take a pill three times a day? I want you to do, we started with the careful wall modified planks. We mm -hmm. move them slowly down to the ground, starting with five seconds, building up to a minute three times a day. And we're trying to increase their core strength or the joint keeps on subluxating. What happens, the joint's literally grinding sacroiliac two or here, and it causes them a lot of pain. And, and if they're in too much pain, they can't do the core. So we're buying them time. Wow. That's all. We're just buying them a good nine months. In older people, the nerve grows back slower, so sometimes we'll get people who get a year or two out of it. Right. But those nerves grow back, especially in young people. But if we can increase their core, then I never see them again. If I can get people to do the exercises and they listen, I'm never going to see them again. If I don't, guess what? They'll be back in nine months and I right. burn it again. That's that's probably the craziest part about the industry, too, is if you're successful, you don't see them again. You don't want repeat customers. I don't. I really don't. I'm busy enough. <laughs> I, I really don't want to keep on seeing patients. And it's funny to say is because I do see a lot of acute injuries, but I'm also, I mean, I trained as a chronic pain management doctor. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we do have patients that we see every month. We have to take care of for medications. But the goal is we, we'd love to see them less. Right. You do not want repeat No, I don't want to. I'd like to see them go, you know. And if they listen to me, and I always get those people who say, wow, they start doing the exercises. I haven't had one person yet who said to me, God, I don't know why I didn't start doing those exercises two or three years ago. Exactly. But, you know, chronic pain becomes almost like an addiction in a way. You get so hooked into it. And if someone's hurting, it's really hard to convince them. But we start with simple things. We just start them on a wall plank off the wall. Right. You just got to get them in a habit of doing it every day. We've all been there. We, I, I had a bad injury three to four years ago. I got so depressed, I hurt my knee playing tennis. I gained 30 to 40 pounds. I couldn't even watch a tennis game. I bare, I went to the gym, but I did it half-ass. And I was so pissed off. Uh, and it was a psych... I tell you, I probably could have used to see a psychologist because that's why they have sports psychologists. Right. When an athlete who's at his prime gets injured and he can't do what he can, it's they get depressed. Beyond devastating. We have a psych... Believe it or not, we have a full psychological team here. We really? have three PhD psychologists and eight therapists. Wow. Because there's a huge psychological overlay when you get hurt. Hell, I had it. I was so mad. I didn't. I have a tennis pro I've mm -hmm. been with forever. I didn't call him for a year. He thought I'd die. He was like nervous. He kept on calling me. I couldn't even talk to him. I was so depressed because I couldn't play. And you know what I did? I dug down deep. I lost the weight. And I did something that people say is counterintuitive is I joined CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And everyone goes, oh, CrossFit is so bad. You know, there's so many injuries. Yeah. if you over See, I, I went it with a state of mind mm -hmm. that I was just going to slowly build up. And that's what I think happens to weekend warriors and athletes is 
there's a theory which I call ligament lag, is that your muscles grow quicker than your ligaments. Right. But people keep on, you know, hey, I bench 200, I want to bench 240. I snatch 200, and they injure themselves every time because they never give the... You, it takes six to eight weeks for your ligaments to catch up to that muscle growth. Right, so they don't, they don't have a they balanced don't. They, uh, they sports keep, system growing. You know, I think CrossFit is great if it, you do it the way it was meant. You're supposed to slowly increase and only do what you can. You're not supposed... To, if you do... CrossFit, the way it's supposed to be done, you won't get injured, but it's very hard because people get competitive. You know, of course, when you're younger, I was there, you know, you want to squat as much as you can. As you get older, you start saying, you know what, I'll, 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 I'll increase my weight only five pounds every few months. Right. I'm going to do it really slow because I don't want to, you know. Right. So at some point, you don't need to be the biggest guy on the beach. You know what, you, some of us will never be the biggest guy. <laughs> you know, genetics, you know, there is a huge genetic component. Oh, yeah. And and I realized a long time ago that was not going to be me. I can get to a good point in life, but, you know, trying to be lift the heaviest weight is no. not a good idea. It's no. bad, man. G- genetics plays a massive part. People genetics, are... it is, and I hate to say, what do they say? It's 85% genetic, 5% work, and 5% diet. Oh, yeah. I, would, I mean, I would have to starve myself or catch AIDS <laughs> if I wanted a six pack at this point. I just do not have. You know, and I'm just happy my belly's not hanging over my belt. So I mean, uh, but you know, you you can get. You know, everyone has a genetic range, right? And I think you can get there. Is that you know, if you smoke a pack a day, and you don't exercise at all and you eat like crap, you're going to be at the lowest part of your genetic range. Right, you're putting shitty gas into the machine. Yes, yeah. you you're can gonna... get to this part of your genetic range. Well, you might not be Arnold, or you might not be, you know, uh, Brady. Right. They have a combination of good genetics, but these people take care of themselves, you know what I mean? You can be up there, but if you don't, you know, if you weigh 300 pounds and you're five foot five, I promise you, you're going to have hip and knee problems. It's going to happen. It's called physics. Right. It's just gravity at that point. You can't, man. And and trust me, I'm a big boy. I knew that. I mean, you know, people always said, you know, even when I was getting up to 280, people go, well, you look good. Well, you know, you're six foot four with clothes. You can get away with it. Right. But I'm telling you, it's uh, it's just not healthy. Right. Your, your knees and ankles and hips are going to I mean, you look at price. some of these basketball players and you watch them now, they're limping. Because oh, these yeah. were 300-pound guys running up and down a wood floor. Just you know, pounding the shit out of their joints. You gotta lose the weight. What would you say is uh, the best exercise for cardio? If you had to, like, would you say running is one of the best? Again, I think it's genetic. I think running for a guy my size mm-hmm. is the worst thing you can do. Right. And I was a runner. I went through a phase in medical school. I was doing I, triathlons like crazy. Really? Triathlons? Yeah. yeah. I, and I was out of my mind because a guy, my, I think I destroyed my knees from all that running. Jesus Christ. If I went back, I would have rode or maybe swam more. You know, running is very easy. Running is the easiest way you can throw on your sneakers and you can burn calories quickly and it doesn't take any device. But the problem is, I think there are certain body types that are just bad for running. I think, you know, some people should be rowing. Yeah. Some people should be biking. I mean, now I row and bike, and I run sprints. Mm-hmm. I don't run any long distances. Those days are gone. Because I think people have it in their heads that they have to run. That running is the cardio. They they it's can't. It's good mentally... for cardio, but it destroys. It's hard on your body. Right. They they can't mentally equate 
cardio as being like rowing. You know, I mean, they, if you're a 150, 170 pound guy, running might not be a bad, but imagine a, anybody over 200 and six foot, right? Man, the pounding on those knees, and you got to be careful where you run. You know, asphalt versus oh yeah, cement versus running on a track versus grass. We have a one of a, my favorite PAs. He's a he was a marine, and this guy runs every day for lunch. He he runs like a 6:30 mile Jesus. on marathons holy shit he just he just loves to run he'll run 10 miles at lunch every day oh but he God. he's like that 170 pound right. perfect body to run right, he's got an aerodynamic frame just, you know he's a you know he was a marine he just likes to run and he doesn't have really knee or ankle pain and he just runs that's his thing me, if I did that, I would need a wheelchair after. That's <laughs> just not good for your body, you man. Just, you just don't have the structure for it. It's... No, you got to really know your. And certain people are bad swimmers. They have a high rate of rotator cuff injuries. Mm-hmm. I think you you almost have to kind of figure out what's best for you. You know, what's your best exercise depending on your body type. I think a lot of people push themselves and hurt themselves constantly. People people jump in without the wrong info. Yeah. I mean, the right information. I, I think. Your Instagram page is probably one of the best suppliers of knowledge on how the body works, what your body. Yeah, we needs. keep on adding. I, I I hired my daughter, so she does my social media and she writes posts. And I give her the. She's better at English than I am. Grammatically, <laughs> she was perfect score on her reading essays two years in a row. So she handles that now for me, and we post and we want to post all the exercises, everything about medical cannabis. How we do the procedures, we're constantly, we want to put an easy post. This is, i using the social media. You're not going to see me eating a baked potato or what I did with my girlfriend last week. Right. And I always, because I have a lot of old Staten Island patients. Right. And I always ask, do you have Instagram or Facebook? And they want to hit me. I don't do social media. Okay. And I always say, I'm, I'm not doing, I don't. I'm not doing it to show you what I did last weekend. Right. It's just we have found giving out a piece of paper to, to explain a procedure and exercise just doesn't work. It's so much easy to see me right. explain. It's so funny. Sometimes when I show them my exercise, I also have my Instagram actually mm-hmm. doing the exercise. I'm double deeming, showing them both how to do it. And I say, just go on your sons. I don't give a crap if you follow me. Just go on your... Just check it out. Just check it out. Get your Because this way you can see it and you can constantly watch it every day because people forget. You got to... When I get a new workout, I forget. I constantly have to look at it. Well, every piece of paper that you handed out only goes to that patient. It's not going beyond that. At least... No. You know, if you put that content on social media, now everyone can see it from yeah, all over and, the world. and we're pushing people because I think, you know, it's just we're trying to give common sense exercises. Right. And we always tell the patients... And I put a lot of jokes about all the different gym equipment. And I always tell them, don't do this. Mm-hmm. Is we want you to, the, the goal with you is to do just enough that you go, that was so easy, I could do tomorrow. And just mm-hmm. a little add every day because it, it takes time to get back to what you need. It took me two years to get out of my knee injury. It, it, it takes a while. Like you yeah, said, it's I think not it's, easy. It's, it's more mental than anything, like you it's said. Usually it's usually mental. And now you take the average human beings like me working 50 hours a week. You got kids. You got a wife. You, you, you're balancing all these different things. Mm-hmm. You know, how much time do you have during the day? You know, can you spare 30 minutes a day to do these exercises? I'm trying to say, do exercises you can do at home. Now with COVID, right. you know, people can't get out at all. They can't swim, you know gym equipment's become a premium we really try to show them some common sense stuff they can do at home well during quarantine that, that should have been the that's been i think a real testament to people's uh 
mental oh, ceilings yeah. because yeah. I know a lot of people who have promised and swore up and down that they were going to get in shape. They were going to write the book they wanted to write. They wanted to learn how to play the cello, whatever the hell it was. And I've seen a lot of people do absolutely dick through the entire quarantine. I mean, when it first hit, we had to close the office down and we were doing the telemedicine for like a month. And then we started going back to the office. Certain patients you have to see. Telemedicine doesn't work no. for cancer. For no. certain patients, you got to talk to them. You got to put your hand on them. Right. You know, it, it was tough. And to do injections on people that needed them, you know, that we had to wait till we were able to do that. I remember the first month I was at home. I even had to do quarantine for like two weeks because a few of our people got it. I mm-hmm. never got it. And I bought this Ghostbuster model. <laughs> I never did it. Jesus Christ. It's like a joke in my family. Right. The Ghostbuster model. I just never got done. Well, I did everything. Don't get me wrong. I read a lot. I started the Instagram site. I did things. But that Ghostbuster model, I said, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to paint this thing. I never did the Ghostbuster. (laughs) It's still sitting on a shelf. But the the big, what was it? It was was the uh, Ecto-1. Oh, Uh, my God, yes. I didn't paint paint it. Still, everyone makes fun of me. Says, you got to finish that Ecto-1 model? I mean, this is a real model. Like, you had to buy the paints. And it took me forever through Amazon to get it, but. Yeah, I st- I, one day I'm going to finish that Ecto-1. This winds up being one of the most frustrating things in the world. If Dennis was in the room right now, he wouldn't know what Ghostbusters were. He wouldn't know what the Ecto-1 was. Oh, my God. That's why I like talking to you. I oh, can always call you night and day and you get the right... Uh, <laughs> you never sleep. I was like, because, you know, I'll tell you a movie and you just get it. And I work with, God bless it, a lot of nice young people. But when I tell them something, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Right, that, that age gap is Like, I, I live my life from point break from the 80s. They yeah. have no idea what I'm talking Put about. Put your toes and fly! No, no one has any idea. No, they don't. It's, no. We were in the car one night headed to uh, Nassau Coliseum for some fights, me and Dennis. And he thought Al was mad at him for something. And he had mentioned that Al was at Madison Square Garden seeing some guy, Billy Joel, a few nights before. <laughs> I almost stopped the car on the highway. And, Are you fucking? You mean what do you mean? Some guy, Billy Joel. It's oh, Dennis, yeah, it's the yeah. piano man. Yeah, we're lucky. We have a a, a really nice guy who does security that we're friends with for Billy Joel. And he get, he gets his tickets sometimes, and we really? go in and see him. Yeah, right up front. He was uh he was still doing that residency at the garden up until oh, yeah, Quarantine, we, right? Uh, we saw him like two years ago. We went. Uh, he was doing that. He was donating a lot of money to. Uh, some of the animal shelters on Long Island, I remember from some of the proceeds. But. Yeah, he's been a wild activist, but it's, yeah. it's crazy, man. It's crazy to see that age gap, you know, with some of the fighters on the team that are so young. And yeah, people have no idea what I'm talking about. Oh, my God. I even make them go home for the weekend and write what movies. You can't go back to work unless you know this. <laughs> I want a book report. Yeah, no, I've, I've, <laughs> I've done things like that with Dennis. I say things, and I'm just like, oh, wow, that joke just fucking bombed. Yeah, yeah. They have it's no never idea. Gonna work. No, it's never going to happen. Yeah. But uh, like Dennis is an exception though. He um, he definitely does not have the mind of a twenty three year old at all. He's definitely wise beyond his years. Yeah, he's very mature, and that's why you know we enjoy working with people. He's he's a, he's a good person, you know, and we take care of a lot of good people on the island. You know, it's funny. I I'm I you know I'm on the island a lot, so we know a lot of people in there. And the weird thing about it is when COVID hit, it was really difficult to keep in touch with people. Right. And I would tell you. And I kid you not, and people think I'm crazy, or maybe I'm just older. I would say 200 of my patients have my mobile phone. Yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you the truth. Not one of them has ever abused it. Like people say, oh, they're going to be calling you at night. 
They're always very polite. They call me during the day. They text me with their issues. And I tell you, it's been a huge help because we get so many phone calls a day. And now we're part of Northwell. Right. We get 1,500 calls. So it's a way of my patients. And some of my patients will text me, hey, can you see this patient? This patient's having an issue. And I'll tell you, it's been a huge help. Well, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, too, like about how doctors used to be able to make house calls. And it was it was a much more personal industry. And, I mean, if you've been bought out by Northwell, now, now they have an entire process they have to go through to call. When well, just... you know, not saying anything, we always had a process. Right. We were such a, we're a big institution on the island. We hire about 190 people. We're one of the larger employees. We've always, we get so many phone calls because our guys were the head of ortho and neurosurgery. We have a large uh, walk-in clinic and we just get so many calls. Just to keep up with that is really hard. And, and, and it's a lot easier to say, just take my phone number. <laughs> just right. Call, it's a, just text me and call me. It's not. And it's not. Patients a, are funny. They will say, "Hey, I don't want to bother you," but they never. No, I'm, I'm serious. Hundreds of patients have my number. Right. They're they're way more. They never abuse it. I have to give them credit. I've not have an issue with them uh, calling me on time. It's not a. It's not a slight against Northwell about having a, a bigger system, but it's it's now that's just what it is. Like you said, you've been a big organization on the island. It's yeah. It's hard to get in touch with. You know, it's funny when I was a kid. And I went through, I always want, and why I wanted to be the old-fashioned primary care doctor. Exactly. People forget in the 50s, 60s, even this, and I even saw it a little bit when I was in Texas for 10 years. Mm-hmm. There were still some primary car. These guys used to do everything. They used to do spine surgery, gallbladder. They did everything. Holy shit. Every, you didn't have the specialties. They were delivering babies during C-sections. Malpractice has gotten so expensive, it's very hard for them to do that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I always you know, wanted to do something like that mm-hmm. because that really appealed to me. The problem's time I got through my residency you know, that didn't really exist. That, that was a, there were very small pockets of the world where right, you that, didn't do that. That model of doctor. That was, model where it was I, extinct. Mean, I used to talk to some of these primary care guys and they said, I never did one of those surgeries. I would just pull out the book and go, Oh yeah, that's how you do it. And they were just, you know, wow. do it. They were cowboys. There was no one else. That's true. You're in a town an hour from anywhere, two hours in the 60s, 70s, even 80s. That's another Even thing. now there's a huge problem in the rural areas for healthcare. Mm-hmm. There's just not enough specialists. Right. It's not like New York City where you could no, throw a stone no. and hit a doctor. and. No, it's not like it's in any major city. I never even thought about that. It. I never even thought of it. Like imagine some backwoods town in Louisiana. They're happy to get a primary care physician. Right. Your primary yeah. care physician is doing everything. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Oh, yeah. It's changed a lot. How old were you when uh, you decided to get into medicine? Like, what was it? Uh... And, uh, yeah. In uh, high school. That's fine. Okay. Sorry. Talk. No, you it's fine. Let him in? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Let no, him, yeah. throw the garbage in here. Yeah. yeah. Nah, I think he can come later. Sorry, we can cut with it. It doesn't matter. Oh, okay. I didn't want him. No, he don't worry can about come it. back later. All right. So, uh, usually Sammy barks at him. Um, I, you know, I always, believe it or not, I wanted to be a veterinarian originally. Really? And then I thought, you know what? I always, I worked for these large animal vets and stuff. Mm-hmm. I said, man, I could do this as a hobby. I should become a doctor. And that's why I changed over to medicine. Shit. We've always had animals. I've always taken care of them, given their shots, took enough of their tumors. We had sheep. We had everything. Really? So I always did that on the side. So you know what? I, I want to work with people. And that's when I changed over. So I've wanted to be a veterinarian since I was in elementary school. Right. Well, I you, just said, you know what? I can do this whenever I want, mm-hmm. and I'll start working with people. 
Well, where'd you grow up that uh, you were uh, you had animals that much? In South Florida, in the seventies, I grew up in Palm Beach County. Oh, in when did we get there? Seventy four. Right. It was like so that uh, was, there was no one there. I was gonna say that was that was before the cocaine cowboys and all that yeah, crazy shit. Yeah, we were shit. there. We lived in Palm Beach Gardens, which was you know a little farther west. I mean, Singer Island had no hotels on it. We used to surf. Oh my god! At Palm, I mean, there was nothing there. You could, you know, just go out to the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I mean, our high school used to hang out. In the, there was no one there, so you know, people had animals. Now, of course, it's you know, it's like the Tri City. Yeah. And then. Uh, we moved to Texas. I lived in Houston for a while, mm-hmm. and if you and a lot of my buddies had farms, and then you know I had some places in Virginia. We had sheep for the kids and things like that. So how the hell did you wind up in Staten Island then? I you know I ask myself every day. <laughs> <laughs> I had you know family up here yeah. and, and family reasons why I came back to New York. That's fair. Yeah, but and I, you forget Staten Island was very rural. Yeah, it was country. I before mean before they. Had the bridge. Yeah, it was country. I take care of guys who still have horse stuff on the island. That's it. That's, yeah. It was definitely country. Yeah. My, my so mother I mean, moved here in '62, and uh, it was it was just it's all not country a common so. way I came here. People always ask me, "Where are mm-hmm. you from? Houston? Right there? What are you doing here?" Yeah, and you know it's funny. Staten Island people don't know how they are closer to Houston people. Really? Very similar mindset. How so? What would you say? Would you say? Is it because of like... Conservative people. They're just conservative. Right. You know, Texas is very conservative. Staten Island is very conservative. You know, every borough is different. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, they would get along really well with people from Houston. Really? Oh, yeah. I think people don't realize that. I th- they think wherever they're from is so unique, but I think there's a bubble mentality wherever it is. Like you people... know, I've traveled a lot. There was times when I was selling my practice and I was doing work in Houston. I was going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one week I heard, you know, how you doing? The next week I said, how you doing? Right. So, you know, but the people were exactly the same. Very similar. And I actually have brought people up here and back there. Really? It's going to get along fine. Yeah, just different know. accents. Right. It's, it's really all it is. Yeah. I, mean, I think people kind of want the same thing wherever you are. It's just yeah. earn a living, have yeah. your family, enjoy yourself, and it's that. Yeah, same. I haven't done, you know, what have I changed? Play sports here. Play, you know, I do the same thing I did in Texas, except it was a little warmer. Right. And I used to complain how warm it was. I complain how cold it Fuck. is. You know, so, you know, as you get older, you want warm. When you're young, you like the seasons. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still in that phase, but I'm, I'm get, I am I'm can't take the cold anymore. I'm, uh, I work outside, and it, it, at this point, yeah, it is a bitch. Yeah, I was digging a bunch of cars out yesterday for people. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's tough. That's all I said is I'm, I'm done. I need a plow. I need a, a quad with something on it. I mean, there's a benefit to having land. You know, you know, spent a lot of time in Virginia. Right. So, I mean, uh, we have a place there, so I'm there a lot. Um, but we do a lot of work up here, so. What would you say would be the one message you wanted to give your patients that are dealing with an injury, dealing with pain? What would it be? Would it, would it be to engage in therapy as much as possible? Just, you know what? Get help. Right. They need a combination of two things. And the problem is they need a good support system, the psychological part, and the athletic. they got to start moving, even if they just pace in their house. Mm-hmm. The longer you sit down and do nothing, the worse you're going to get. you got to move. There's only so much modern medicine could do for you. We could do a lot more right. than we used to. Now we got medical cannabis. We have like 600 patients on. We've taken them off a bunch of stuff. But you got to move. you got to move.
move. You got to put that first foot in front of the other. Right. The the, the therapy doesn't end. You know, after Going the treatment. Going to physical therapy two to three times a week ain't gonna cut it. No, it's not doing it. It's um, and, and that goes with everybody. Right. It's got to be your lifestyle. If I said it, you got to do hip swings. You got to keep on doing movement all day, or you're in trouble. Right. That sedimentary life, sedentary lifestyle just. It's it, it will decrease your lifespan. Kill you quicker than anything else. Sitting down behind the desk, which I try not to do. I try to keep moving. How did you get into the medical cannabis? Was that just kind of the nature of the industry? That's where I was headed. Well, you know, be honest with you. All my a lot of my patients always did smoke some marijuana. Right. We, you know, there's a rule you're not allowed to have patients on illegal drugs if they're on pain medicine. We always used Marinol, which is an FDA approved THC derivative drug for cancer. Really? Yeah, Marinol's been around since I've been a fellow in MD Anderson. It was uh, FDA approved for. Uh, chemotherapy, nausea, mm -hmm. and for HIV uh, to get them to eat. Right. But we found out it was great for pain. I've been using Marinol off-label for pain, but the only problem is if it's not a cancer diagnosis, they get charged a lot. The medical cannabis, when uh, they passed the law in 2014 and 2017, we took the test. Uh, we started using it because we felt it was a lesser evil than certain pain medicines. Right. And we have taken people off a ton of narcotics, a ton of benzodiazepines, which is Valium and mm -hmm. Xanax, and they're on the medical cannabis, and it's just a lot healthier for them and better for them. Is it for everybody? I don't think it's for everybody, mm -hmm. but for a certain amount of people that we use it for, it's been a huge help. We use it for our lupus patients, our cancer patients, our rheumatoid patients, our chronic pain patients, and, uh, you know, we've had a lot of success with it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of the the biggest things about that industry is I've seen a lot of people come off of opiates. Friends of mine that we've taken a lot of people off serious addictions, and they've they've had some great success with medical marijuana. And you know, I think to my and this is my opinion. I think it's a healthier way than being on Suboxone, definitely, or methadone. Oh, yeah, definitely I assume mean, so. I mean, a lot of our patients have gotten their minds back, mm -hmm. and some have even decreased the medical cannabis over time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very difficult to get people off narcotics. And I think medical cannabis, along with other things, with our psycho I mean, we kind of do a team approach here, and we've had good results with it. Right, it's not just a one-angle thing. you got to really hit them with a multi-prong effort. You know, I have a certain algorithm I do with my patients. Mm -hmm. I don't really follow what, you know, I have to be careful because I really don't want my patients going to the pharmacies and being told. We have found a system that's worked for our patients. Right. And we, we, we know what we want them to do because we've been doing it since day one. And we have probably over 500 patients on it. Wow. Yeah, and they're doing a lot of them. And guess what? We don't have to see them every month. We see them two to three times a year now. They're right. happier. They don't have to go to the doctor all the time. Right. They have less medical care. The only problem with it is they got to pay out of pocket. Yes. And that makes it difficult because it's not the cheapest thing in the mm -hmm. world. Well, I, I think those prices will change. Uh, I think it's going to go recreational eventually. Everywhere. Again, you know, we just have to be careful because it's, we still don't, you know, there, there's not a lot of good literature. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of it's retrospective of what we do with our patients. And even if they went recreational, we still would have to monitor them. We can't put them on a narcotic if they're taking recreational medical cannabis because right. they crash their car and die. Right. We have to keep an eye on how we handle it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I definitely think it's, it, it's definitely a healthier way to go. I mean, I think it should be... Like, I can't even smoke, but I'm still an advocate for legalizing it. I think it's so much safer than tobacco and alcohol. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Even just on a recreational side. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you know, 
you have to be, you know, depending on who's like, who had that talk. Right. You really don't want your doctor or airplane pilot. No, I'm definitely sure the not. same rules are going to be like that. I mean, you know, pilots are not allowed to drink. Right. Never build a smoke. I mean, there's. I mean, I guess if you're doing this as a recreational thing at home and it's not affecting anything you do with other people, I don't really have a problem with it. But you have to remember though. That if your brain, the one big problem of cannabis is, if your brain isn't fully formed, oh yeah, you do get cognitive disabilities. So if you smoke a lot of pot before you reach eighteen, as a, you know, remember, mm-hmm. kids, guys can grow to nineteen and twenty. Right, and isn't and, it the frontal lobe doesn't finish developing till like twenty five yeah, or something like that? Yeah. So if you're smoking a lot of pot, it can make you an idiot. Yeah. I yeah. hate to say it will give you cognitive. That is one of the things we know. Well, and that, also, you have to feel if you're smoking a joint, you still put tar into your right. Lungs. Right, it's not safe. It's not it's not it's like not doing a vape or oil. Right. So I mean, you know, schizophrenia. There are certain things you have to be careful with, but I think it's a good alternative. I don't think it's you know, of course, the people who sell medical cannabis and the you know, oh, this is the only thing. This is what, no. you know, there's no one thing. Right. Like steroids when they first came out. I remember, oh, steroids are going to fix everything. Mm-hmm. Valium, believe it or not, in the 60s, that was the wonder drug. Really? It was a diet pill. It was used for anxiety. Valium? It was used for weight loss. Get the hell out. Yeah. You know, every... Wow. You know, steroids were the big thing. Then Valium was the... You know, there's a drug called Soma. Mm-hmm. That was the... It was going to save the world. And now it's one of the most addictive... Valium and Soma are so addictive. Holy They're shit, I've never even heard of Soma. Harder to get off uh, than uh, narcotics. Really? Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to be... I, I think as a physician, you got to be able to see through all the nonsense. Right, there's, there's a lot of there facade is, and a lot know, of bullshit. I mean, you know, I'm... You know, I have an advantage more than most. I have about a hundred different treatments I could do. Mm-hmm. I could do injections. I could put them into physical therapy. I could do psychology. I could teach them exercise. I could do injections. I could put them on, I mean, I have about 30 or 40 treatments. So we have a way of, ta- we, we were lucky that mm-hmm. we ha- have a way of tailing those treatments. And I, I hate to say it, if you're someone who only prescribes medical cannabis, you're going to prescribe medical cannabis. Just like if you're only someone who does surgery, I mean, you, you tend to push what you do. Right. I don't think there's a lot of doctors that would take advantage of the uh, the diverse tool bag that you have. I think a lot of doctors would kind of find what might be the most money-making for them and yeah, kind of go that route. Be, I mean, Be careful. Right. Yeah. You know, I always thought if you're a good physician, you're always going to do well enough to take care of your family and have a good life. Right. You know, you don't, you know, you try to always pick the right treatment for the patient. I don't want to be self-righteous, you know. But, you know, I just think there's so much out there. You can look at someone and say, you know what? This person just needs to exercise. Let me, I'm going to tell you one story. I don't want to bore you. No, no, are you kidding me? It's time. But I, can do this I had hours. this guy, and I, tell, I used to tell a story in lectures. Mm-hmm. I had this guy. I lived, I, my practice was in Baytown in Houston. Mm-hmm. And this guy was building a new terminal for Continental, and now, which is United, at the, uh, I guess it's called Bush International now. <clears throat> he came into my office, and he was so miserable, how much back pain. And I just started talking to the guy. The guy was commuting like four to five hours a day. Shit. Like two hours both ways. Misery says, I, I, the car is killing me. And we talked, and I remember MRI of his back didn't look that bad. I'm looking at him, I said, I, I said, I'm just curious. 
do you have to live that far? I mean, can't you move closer? I mean, that area of Condonell has very reasonable housing. I said, you live all the way over here, but that's the loop. Right. I said, could you move there? And I tell you, I saw the guy like two months, like six months later, he came back. To he moved. His back pain went away. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he moved within 15 minutes of where he worked. Well, that ride, I think, will beat the shit out of anybody's and back. his back pain was gone. You know, anxiety is huge. People have this stress of the commute and life, you know, and some of that is the problem. Working out takes care of that, too. I think it's amazing. Anything you could do to make your life easy. And sometimes we can't. We have no choice. We have to commute. But those long commutes and the stress and being on the train and the bus and the pollution, it gets to people. No, but 30 minutes a day of exercise does I tell you the truth, I got wonders I, beyond. You know, I probably exercise a little more than that, maybe at least mm-hmm. an hour a day. Minimum, a but minimum, minimum 30 minutes. And I think sports is very healthy for people. Right. You know, any time, I don't care if it's tiddlywinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, competition is so important. Yeah. I mean, I love to play tennis. I'm not that good at it. I love golf. I mean, I like working out, but I need to have something I compete. Yeah, you need to drive. And, and need you need a, it's fun to play tennis and win occasionally. Yeah, and you need something that takes you outside of, I mean, I hate even saying that, your comfort zone, but... Like, I used to box when I was younger. I used to do jiu-jitsu. Yeah, too. I would get the shit kicked out of me, but it was the most honest moments of my life because yeah, I didn't sports have... Sports is so important, man. Yeah. Competition, I think, is so good for the spirit. Yeah, not today with participation trophies and... <laughs> no dodgeball. Oh, my God. No, yeah. That's... I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's we're... a whole nother yeah, we're, subject. We're nerfing the world at this point. It's... But competition is so healthy, you know. It's so good for you. I'm not saying crazy. No. Like, I remember my Little League baseball. That was scary. Yeah, I, I that's, mean, fathers would get in fistfights. I've seen, yeah. I've, when I mean, my brother played... They uh, took that stuff serious. Oh, yeah. My brother and played... football in, in Florida. Oh, they took that yeah, football's no joke when oh, you get out of state. Oh, my God. But, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's healthy competition. That's my favorite thing to do is play tennis and golf with my son. And I love it. You also build a camaraderie with people, too. It's 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 healthy. It's it's just so healthy to have that type of environment. Again, COVID, you know, has made it a little more difficult for the intramural basketball, double tennis a little tougher. Right. You know, it's you know it's it's changed the tennis. You know, I'm still playing because you know you're you're walking with the mask, you gel up, you mm-hmm. gel after you're done, and you're not near anybody. Right. Golf that you can take the single carts. And you can Lysol the bejesus out of it and still play. Right. Running, kayaking, surfing, you know, any type of swimming. All right, there's tons of things you can still yeah. do. You got to keep, I mean, like I said, you got to keep moving, man. It's all to. about forward motion. Always. Yeah. Forward always. Forward. It's really the only, only way you can do it. It's It's got to be It's got to be incorporated and become part of your routine every day. I mean, you know, people think I'm a little crazy sometimes. I'm always running around the office mm-hmm. doing exercise, but it keeps me sane. Right, and you sleep better at night. It's it's key. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I think as we get older, we forget all that. Oh, yeah. I'm just playing a game. You know, I play a lot of games. Scrabble. Yeah. Yep. Scattergories. Keeps the mind active and nimble and, and you're able so, to think. It's so important. And, you know, if you sit and, and believe me, I like to binge watch like the rest. Right. You gotta easily get out. There's there's a time for it. There's, yeah. there's definitely a time for it. That's your uh, rest and relaxation. You know, it's funny. Now I changed my. You know, actually, my poor apartment here has become. Uh, oh my! They've become used gyms. <laughs> <laughs> 
everywhere I go, I put a gym in because, you know, and sometimes I will turn on a Netflix series as I'm working out. Yep. Yeah. That'll do it. Yeah. That was uh, one of the best purchases I had was UFC Fight Pass. I would throw on fights and just watch them for probably two hours, and I'd get lost in a workout doing yeah, it. I was it's... watching Dennis fight one time. I was trying to do paper, and I was screaming at the computer. I cannot watch him fight. Yeah. It, that, is, that is the worst 15 minutes of yeah, the entire the entire uh, fight camp. We, you know, he'll get ready for eight weeks, and then we get to fight night. And by the time he gets to the cage, my stomach is in knots. I can barely watch. My yeah, hands I are shaking. I really didn't know MMA before you guys. Yeah. I mean, I boxed as a kid, and I knew boxing, but I really didn't know the. I mean, like everyone else, I go, "Wow, that was pretty crazy," but right. I never understood it. Mm-hmm. And then I started going to Dennis's matches. I remember the first one. I said, "Wow, look at this!" And then. You know, that was a shit show. I went with a friend's little kid, this eight year old taught me. Yeah. He knew all the points and everything. Of course. I was in front and he was going, that's a takedown, that's a point. I said, you really know what this kid really taught me a lot about MMA. At first glance, it's savage as can be, but it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's. That's a, that's a endurance. Oh, yeah. Sport. And it's hyper technical. Think about, you have to worry about feet knees elbows hands you know it's not just boxing where you're just worried about one thing i mean you have to worry about everything from every angle yeah i put on tennis or mma or golf and i watch yeah there's there's some good fights that uh they'll get you jacked up if you want to work out yeah that'll definitely do it and i actually you know i i didn't know about it but i know a lot about it now Mm -hmm. and you know i keep an eye on it and watch yeah, it's it it, easy. it becomes way more enjoyable the more you understand about it. Once you get past the oh, this is just savagery in a fucking cage. I can't say that about cricket. <laughs> no, I didn't learn. No. I mean, I enjoy cricket now. I never understood it. Yeah, I was in New Zealand. They taught me how. But I have to admit, the MMA I really like a lot better than the. Cricket. Uh, yeah, I, I think so too. Can't cricket games go on for like days? They have three different kinds. They have one that's a whole day. Yeah. One that's three days and one that's seven. Fuck that! I don't understand how it's played at all. It's something like baseball, isn't it? It's, uh, the rules are uh, very different. And they have a whole different system where you hit it. And that's the one with the giant paddle, right? They yeah. get, oh, fuck. And the way you run in between. I mean, I never I, I never understood that to a bunch of New Zealand. I, I was in New Zealand surfing with my son. Shit. And, there's not much, and we were in these little towns. And people don't realize in New Zealand, they have these things called veteran, veteran things. It's like a little club. Right. Like a country club. The problem with these veterans, they were all veterans, but there hasn't, New Zealand hasn't fought a war. <laughs> right. So there are no more veterans. They've become clubs for the community. Oh, that's cool. And you can, they give you like a pass if you want to hang out. Mm-hmm. So they, they have tennis courts, they have food, and they're really nice people. And we were sitting one night having a beer and we're watching the crib, no idea. And they said, come over you Yanks. And they sh- we actually showed, and that's how I learned. Oh, and you got, you got the cricket we lesson. Had a place to play tennis. They gave us some rackets between surfing and stuff. Because you can only surf for two hours. Especially at my age. Yeah, you get the shit After kicked out. After one or two hours, yeah. I'm, I'm hurt. Yeah, you, you take so, a couple uh, of those waves and that's it. You're, you're, uh, join these clubs and hang out. And they, they love their cricket and rugby. Oh yeah, rugby's the, that's another one. The number one rugby team forever. Really? Oh, the All Blacks. Get out. Yeah, the number one professional team for a long time. Look it up. They're really Holy shit. The best team. Don't they have uh like no cases of COVID right now? I don't know. I said you could I'm, I'm pretty sure that the country has like a 0% COVID rate. I mean if they it's you know, it's pretty far away. Yeah. Unless they don't have a big influx of people, I think, just people that come to visit. Mhm. So, you know, they do have uh, 
people that take care of the restaurants, they bring in people for that. So, mm -hmm. I mean, if they got in there quick enough and they blocked people from coming in, Caymans too, that's been locked down since those few cases, you know, happened on the cruise boat. Yeah, and they shut it down quick. They shut it like that. Jesus. So, I mean, yeah, I guess New Zealand, I didn't realize I have to look it up. New Zealand's actually a hotbed for MMA right now. Really? Yeah. There's a lot of... MMA fights there? There's one of the best gyms in the world there right now. Where? In Auckland? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, Auckland. That's the, where the million... Not many people... I think it's like five million in the whole place. Get out. And a million and a half of them live in, around and near Auckland. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, one of the champions right now, uh, Israel Adesanya. He's one of the champions in the UFC. He's originally from, I think, Nigeria. Yeah, he trains out of uh, New Zealand. It's a beautiful country. That's what I've heard. It's really nice. That's what I've heard. Drive on the wrong side of the road. That's you fucked up. What uh, what what state would you say it was closest to? Could you even compare it? Uh, well, that's a hard one. You know, the northwest is pretty beautiful, but it doesn't have that weather. Yeah. So uh, it's it's. Diverse. Yeah, I would say Washington is very close to Cape Town mm -hmm. and South Africa, but no, New Zealand. I don't because you know we don't have, the way that it's it's warm there. Mm -hmm. You know they have the North. You know their their uh, uh, summer and winter are direct opposite. Of right. Them. So December is their summer. That's so fucking you weird. Can actually snowboard in the South Island. And the ski and the uh, surfing's big in the North Island, but I don't, you know, you gotta wear a lot of sunblock. Oh yeah, because that's where the ozone hole is. Oh, right over there, right? It's right over. It's very shit. close between that and Antarctica. You get burned there. Get out. I noticed a lot of dermatological signs. Dermatologists, <laughs> we start so come get your check. Holy shit! Big, big. It makes sense. In New Zealand. That makes sense. Oh yeah, we saw a lot of. A lot of derm signs everywhere. Yeah, if it's a regional uh threat. I got burnt the first day I was there, but I wore a ton of sunblock. And I don't burn easily. The, the first time I was ever in California sun scared the shit out of me just because I had never felt sun on my skin where I felt like I was being touched. So I could just yeah, imagine what it's like. Got, there, it's, you got to be careful. Yeah, I, I could imagine it's Trust way me, worse. You feel the heat there after a while. That's wild. In an hour and a half, you get burnt. Jesus. Yeah, I, wear a, I, I wore a full wetsuit all the time. And Do you? Shit. Put a lot of lotion on my face. Zinc and everything. Wow. How is the surfing out there? Okay. I mean, it's, it's like top notch, right? Are you kidding me? You can, any, if you want to do soccer mom surfer, mm -hmm. like I am, or if you want really crazy waves, that's where they have that area of national championships. They're on Pia Beach, which is about an hour, hour and 15 minutes northeast of Auckland. Isn't it? On, like, on the, that's on the... Uh, the Indian Ocean side, then there's the Pacific side. You can surf on either side. Yeah. And it's easy to get around. When you get to Seven Mile Beach, I think they call it, you can go to the other side so you can check, you can find waves all the time. Do they have those crazy-ass waves? Like, I think it's in Portugal where they're having, like, those 100-foot waves those guys are riding. I don't know if they're that big. Jesus. We saw definitely some 10 and 15 feet, but not that big. Fuck, have you seen those? Have you seen those guys? Those, uh, it's like riding a skyscraper. It doesn't even... Pull them out on the jet ski? Yeah. But it looks I that that wave when when you see it off the coast it looks like the day after tomorrow when that fucking giant tsunami guys comes. Have some with <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's called balls the size of grapefruits. You know, one big wave surfer dies a year. It seems you always see like a memorial. Surfer. That sounds like it would be low compared to you know the waves you know, these that they're guys doing. Are incredible shape. They oh yeah, breath forever. Freaks, absolute freaks. Look at that Lord Hamilton. I mean that guy. Is He's. A fucking freak. 
He's a, he's a super athlete. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the one. These guys are in uh, incredible shape to surf like that all the time in those kind of waves. He's got some crazy kind of coffee that he puts out with like turmeric in it and shit. And well, you know that's in the blue zone. Yeah. If you read that book, turmeric. Yeah. You know, it's a good book, but I'm going to tell you, just go back to the last two pages. Basically, this is the whole book. That's it? Well, what they do is, <laughs> I shouldn't even say that. I shouldn't even say that. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's book. No. So, uh, but go to the end. You don't need to read the book. Just read the, it, it basically takes all the and stuff. And just sums it up? Well, you know, I have Okinawa, Loma Linda, Costa Rica, and Sardinia. Okay. Are the areas where people... And they, you know, it's basically turmeric, eating a lot of vegetables, right? One glass of wine a day, a lot of walking. They summarize at the end. Shit. You could have went. Well, I could have just read the, the three pages. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pick it up and check that out then, Doc. Yeah. And they go into how people live forever. That's interesting book. That's insane. And who wrote that? You know the guy's name? I gotta check that out. He's, he's like a a guy. He's written a few books. I can't remember his name. But it, it, it's an interesting book, you know. Especially in Oakland. I mean, these people are living to Oh, yeah. It's still, but they're functional. Right. They're not just existing. Like they get up from a sitting position. They walk. From, the guys in Sardinia still tend to the sheep. Mm-hmm. They walk like 10 miles a day. Yeah, there's, that you get those freak people in, the, in these areas that they essentially live forever. But like I said, they're functioning. They're they not just. someone to love. That's also the big point of the book. Yeah. Community. Right. Some type of family. Massive. Some type of urban community. Some people you like. That, you can't be alone. That, that's been a massive hit of COVID, too, is people yeah. are losing that sense of community. Yeah, it's hit all of us. You know, my CrossFit gym went under. So Fuck. I was like, you know, it's funny. And CrossFit's big on community. And I was always saying, I'm not going to. But, you know, you make so many friends there. Mm-hmm. We were golfing together. We were hanging out. Unbeaten was such a, it was a great atmosphere. It was fun. It was a place, you know, you worked out four or five days a week, but sometimes you'd hang out, watch TV. Right, watch they, beca- they become your family. Yeah, I mean, it was a shame. That was a nice community. That sucks. And That's... my other community, my other bad habit, I occasionally smoke a cigar. Yes. Carmine's, which is our local shop, also got hit. That's where a lot of people would meet at night. Really? They went under, too? No, no one, no, uh, no, Shit. no going like, I mean, we used to have the 30, 40 people. It was a big, diverse crowd of of doctors, uh, attorneys, uh, construction people, business people, policemen, firemen. Mm-hmm. It was like everyone in the local community where you met and you talked about family, you'd have a cigar. I would do my paperwork there. Right. I know it's unhealthy, but a few cigars a week, you know. The New England Medical Journal said <laughs> three cigars a day is one of the cancer risk. Yeah. I'm sure there's genetic propensity. But yeah, I was probably smoking two cigars a week. But you know, you go in there and you would talk to everyone and find out what was going on in their life. It was very nice for the. I think I think the benefit from that and TVs and people would hang out and how are you and what's going on. Right. It was part of the community. It's a shame. It's it's not the same. That outweighs, yeah. I think, the the possible cancer risk or whatever that yeah, that it's. That, that was part of my and the Schwitz. Right. Go for a Schwitz. You can't do that anymore. You know, no. the uh, Stargate in Coney Island, that was, we used to meet there on, I used to meet a bunch of guys on Friday, because a lot of time I would take a half day, 
and we would meet there, and it was great. We'd go on the hot thing, you'd go into the different songs, mm -hmm. you'd have a little drink, you'd eat, you'd sit and talk about the week. A lot of elderly would come there, and now you have to make an appointment. It's not the same. Right, it's, it's taking the humanity out of it. Now yeah, you just... You know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a big meeting area for people. Right, it was, it was communal. with their family. You know, it was a great place also if you've been working out all week. Get that lactic acid. Oh, yeah, yeah. Get those leaves. Oh, the uh, eucalyptus? Yeah, it was the best. They beat the shit out of you with those oh, things. Man, it was painfully good. I've never gone. I've never yeah, gone to one. Great. We used to meet there on Fridays in the morning before work. Such a shame. Or so that I go after tennis, sit there for an hour and a half. I'll tell you, nothing's better. No. No. Because you get a lot of that heat shock protein and all that, too, from you know, it. You do the cool plunge, you go into the hot. Right. You know, and you get hit with the leaves. And you, it's just very healthy. Would you say there's a diet that you think uh, works best for things like pain? You know, inflammation and all stuff like that? Because you know I hear a lot of people tr attribute, like, the, the keto diet to being, you know, a big pain reliever. Uh, I don't know about that. I, mean, I always make this joke that people are going to hit me. If keto was good, so good. Why did cavemen die when they were 20? <laughs> well, of course, they didn't have antibiotics. Right. They got eaten by things that aren't around today. I just think, you know what, as you get older... I think everyone has a little genetic, I don't know, you know, I look at all these different things. Is there really a gluten sensitivity? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you know, common sense. You know, don't eat a lot of sugar, fried foods, sodas, mm -hmm. you know, crap. You know, I think people are going to these crazy extremes. Right, because... You know, I think eating only protein is good. First of all, I think it's very hard to keep up. Oh, yeah. Friends. It's, it is. It's true. Piss off your friends. Go out to eat on a business meeting and just eat a salad. The fucking worst. Or just, you know, sorry, I can't have bread. Yeah, no. People hate your guts. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's true. You know, I know it works for me. I work on a, I think as you get older, a modified fasting is good. Mm -hmm. Whether it's 12, 14, or 16, that's up to you. It's always worked for me. I know my body pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to know your body. I mean, certain people, I think, do better with more vegetables and fruit. Maybe, you know, protein. But, you know, you can't eat steak every day. No. You can't eat bacon every day. You see those you fucking maniacs that. doing the carnivore day. diet now? What's the diet? The carnivore diet. They literally just eat meat. That's it. I think those diets are crazy. We're, first of all, we are omnivores. Right. You've got to eat a certain amount of vegetables, a certain amount of fruit. I think fruit and vegetables are good. Mm-hmm. You know, a certain amount of meat, you know, you know, I, I think steak once a week is not the worst thing. No. But, you know, pork, enough fish per week. Now, you got to be careful with fish. It's got to be lime pork, too much mercury. Right. So, I mean, you know, you can't eat sushi every day if you don't want to glow. And you got to be careful where you eat <laughs> because, you know, a lot of it's farmed. And I don't know if that's good for you. I can't imagine that would be. But I think, you know... Everything in moderation. I still think, believe it or not, Weight Watchers is still the best diet that ever existed. I would, I would it say so. It's just to modify what you eat. Right, you just... You, know, you, you got the Nutrisystem. You ever tried Nutrisystem? No. It's just the worst. Is that the one where they give you, like, the shakes and all that bullshit? It's, it's and... disgusting. I mean, maybe it's gotten better in the last 10 years. And then they have this new thing called Noon. Mm -hmm. You know, here's something funny. I was bored one week. And I said, well, you know, I said, you know, I... I'm at this weird weight where I can oh, like no. be a certain weight. So I signed up for noon. Okay. And it's so much work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, you got to 
register everything you eat every oh. day, and you gotta talk to a coach. And I'm going, who has time for this? I I got off really quickly. I said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Oh, it's, it's exhausting. And, you know what does it tell you? Eat less, eat more complex carbohydrates. Right. Eat more rice. Eat brown rice. Eat whole wheat. Eat less crap. Common Basically, sense shit. It's all the same thing. Eat less crap. The only reason I think people lose weight on the keto diet, I think their appetites get destroyed. Yeah. They just eat less. I mean, how much bacon and steak can you eat? I tell you the truth is, I can't eat too much steak. Mm -hmm. I eat steak once, I'm good for two weeks. Yeah. I get a steak hangover. Oh, yeah. You know, there's always leftover. You the next day, you know. No, you get the fucking meat sweats I, after I, that I night. I can't do it. I mean, I have to, and I eat a lot of poor chicken. I'm careful what I eat, you know, especially at this age. And I fast 14 to 16 hours a day. But that's normal for me because yeah. usually I'm up early. I can't eat before I work out. I'm right. usually, I mean, I usually never ate before 10 or 11 anyway. Right, and then you're so up and moving the all day. the extra two to three hours wasn't that tough for me. You know, if you're, it depends on how you, you got to work a diet that makes sense. Right, and you got to train your body too to kind of get into that I routine. I mean, you can't eat a box of Oreo cookies every night. You can't eat a Danish every day. No. You can't eat a bagel every day. It's right. not... I'm sorry. No, the big takeaway I'd say is Unless moderation. Gonna, you gotta exercise. You gotta eat less. Right, moderation and stay moving. Yeah, that's really that's the key. Everyone wants to make it way more complicated than it I needs mean, to be. These fad diets don't work. No, and some of them I think are dangerous. You know, you're not if you go into ketosis for too long, you could it hurts your kidney. Really? Yeah. You know Shit. that was the old. What was the old? I'm starting to. What was the original diet where you only ate protein all the time? The uh, Atkins. Atkins. Yep. I mean, what is the what are the other diets? Are they that different? I mean, Atkins was the first one. They basically, they made you use a strip yeah. where you made sure you were in ketosis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, no, I'm not I can't. supposed to be in ketosis all the time. You know, I can't imagine that you're, your body's... You're urinating on the strip, and it would tell you what your ketosis level, whatever, you go, oh, Right, I mean, we, we ketones or some shit yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, this is good. I'm peeing out protein. That's what it is that you... <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh, wow. Or you're breaking down enough of it. And all these, these people just ate proteins with no carbs. Oh. I mean, you got to eat... I mean, I like to eat an apple or a banana or an orange, yeah. you know, an orange or banana a day, you know... Eat a little fruit. A right, little but you're veggies. also you're also getting the other nutrients from it too. It's yeah, not you know, it's I not mean, like you're just getting carbs from it. No, I mean I heard so many crazy. I remember the the sorority when I was in University of Florida. Oh, no. They decided to go on a salary diet where they only ate like lettuce and, and vegetables. Two of them went into the hospital. Of course, GI issue. Of course. Yeah, I think it was not a good way to go. <laughs> the diamond. I don't even remember that diet. Mediterranean diet, again, it makes sense, eating a lot of fish and healthy food and, and the right oils and olives. I mean, you know. Right, but they all circle back to the same concepts of just everything in moderation. I mean. And smart. You know, everyone has, listen, every few months, I like to get a double meat whopper. Right. With cheese, onions, extra pickles, onions, well-toasted bun, cut in half with french fries well done. As you should. That is my, every few months, I feel like shit after I eat it. And I don't feel good, but every once in a while, it just satiates that. You know, that uh... That's that's like you know, and that's why I always like Lord Hamilton. He used to always say that we're trucks. Yeah. Occasionally, you have no choice; you got to eat. So a cheeseburger once in a while is not going to kill you. No. You got to feed the monster occasionally. You have to. But you can't eat it every day. No. 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 You you'd be like that guy no. from uh, 
was that movie with fast food where he just oh supersized me? Oh god, I don't have anybody. Liver, you know, his liver enzymes went up. He, he was on death's door by the end of it. I mean, you can't eat that food. Every no, it'll kill you. No, it's not even food at that point. Eating fucking cardboard and manufacture. I, there's something like yoga mats found inside McDonald's chicken nuggets. It's like the good. padding. That's not I mean, good. It's some kind of chicken. Yeah. Yeah. Chicken product. Uh, yeah, it's, not, it's not good. It's no. Not good. Definitely not good for you. So. Doc, let's wrap it up here. Yeah. This has been a great interview. Thank you for sitting down. I no really problem. appreciate I it. Closer to the mic. Yeah, you know, you were probably watching the levels. Yeah, all right, good. Doc, thank you so much. Seriously. No Thanks for having me on. Well, we uh we got to do this from a cigar lounge when everything opens back up. Yeah, I'll have to see. There was a few cases of COVID oh, from fucking there. Christ. <laughs> but not they're careful now. I think the 